0: When the Lord Jesus cried, it is finished, it was a cry of victory. The cross is a place of triumph and Good Friday, a great day of great rejoicing for us. The cross is a demonstration of the wisdom and power of God. If we are able to understand three key truths, substitution, atonement and redemption, we gain a revelation of the wisdom and power of God demonstrated through the cross. The completed work of Christ on the cross reverses everything that came upon humankind through the fall.
1: Let's turn our Bibles. We're going to read a few passages of Scripture and just take some time to reflect on the cross of Jesus. And then we'll be praying together. Well, i are just going to take some time to read uh, an extended portion of Scripture. From the Gospel of John. So if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 18 onwards. I'm going to read a few passages and then we want to reflect on the cross of Jesus this morning. And then we're going to take some time to pray together. John chapter 18. Oh let's just back up, go to chapter 17. We'll read one verse from John 17. John chapter 17. I mean, read verse 4. John 17, verse 4. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. John 17, verse 4. Jesus is praying what is commonly referred to as his high priestly prayer prior to his crucifixion. And he says in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Then let's go to chapter 18. We'll start from verse 1. I'm going to take the liberty to read an extended portion of scripture. Is it okay? You're going to read this narrative of his crucifixion from the gospel of John. We'll start with chapter 18. We'll go through chapter 19 and... We'll close off with chapter 19 and verse 30. John chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas who betrayed him also knew the place, for Jesus often met there, With his disciples. So he would go off into this garden with his disciples and have a garden Bible study. But this time something else was going to happen in that garden Bible study. Then Judas, verse 3. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? A very interesting thing in the life of Jesus is He often knew what was going to happen, knowing all things. Knowing all things. You find that often in the Gospel of John. He knew the time had come. He knew the timing of the Father. And so once again here, John says He knew what was going to happen and He went forward. See, when you know what God's leading you into, you're not afraid to step into it. It's only when you don't know that God's leading you, you're a little scared, apprehensive about the future. But when you know God's leading you, you go forward. They answered him, verse 5. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. The word he is added there. And Judas who betrayed him also stood with them, verse 6. Now when he said to them, I am, He, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. He's protecting his disciples. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear, right here. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Suffering can come. For many different reasons. The cup that he's talking about is a cup of suffering. There is a cup of suffering the Father gives us. Sometimes we mix our own cup of suffering. That's not good. Sometimes other people set it up for us. That's not good. You don't need to drink off that cup either. But there's a cup that the Father gives us. And we need to discern. And this was one of those moments where Jesus said, I'm going to drink of the cup that the Father has given me or is giving to me. If you remember in the 20th chapter of Matthew, Jesus asked the mother of James and John, do you think that you can drink the cup that I drink from and be baptized with the same baptism that I am baptized with? He was talking about the cup of suffering and the baptism of suffering. So suffering... is like this. It's like drinking a cup. It works inside you. It's like a baptism. It overwhelms you. But in the process, it refines you. And there is a cup of suffering. There's a baptism of suffering which we must welcome in our lives. Which the Father sends us. Amen? And that's what Jesus is getting ready to do. I'm not talking about the suffering of sickness or bondage to sin. That's not suffering. I'm talking about certain things that God presents us with. The cup and the baptism that we, like Jesus, must receive. That's what he did in verse 11. Let's read it again. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. I don't need human assistance at this point to prevent this. This has to happen. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Verse 12. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Very interesting. Caiaphas was the high priest. And below the high priest, there were chief priests and there were Pharisees. Now Caiaphas' father-in-law was Annas. And the people decided to take Jesus to Annas first, almost representing the high priest himself. What is very interesting is that if you read in the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 47 onwards. This was right after the time Jesus raised Lazarus up from the dead in John chapter 11. It's just all the people began to follow Jesus because they saw this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And so these chief priests and Pharisees got together in a meeting and said, What are we going to do with Jesus? How can we get rid of him? Because if all the people start following Jesus, we will lose our place and the Romans will take over. So the whole thing was politically motivated. The reason the chief priests wanted to get rid of Jesus was because they wanted to secure their place in the government. The reason the Romans allowed or permitted the chief priests to continue doing what they're doing is because they claim to have this whole influence on the people. And so through them, indirectly, the Romans were controlling through Jerusalem and Israel. But if Jesus succeeded in getting people away from being Subject to the chief priests. Then the Romans would throw them out. The chief priests would lose their place of importance. And the Romans would take over directly. Direct control of the people. But it was at this time, the high priest, Caiaphas said. You know, it is better. And you can read this in John 11 verses 47 onwards. It is better for one man to die for the whole nation and John writing in chapter 11 by the holy spirit says that Caiaphas actually prophesied about the substitutionary work he didn't use the word term substitutionary work but he said Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus one man would suffer for the whole nation and not only for the nation of Israel but for all the children who would be gathered from around the world who gave this prophecy the high priest Caiaphas so what is being referred to here in John 18th chapter the 14th verse is that prophecy in John 11 through Caiaphas what is interesting to note is that even that even through the mouth of a high priest prophecy came and he didn't even know that he was prophesying so this teaches me that sometimes god can speak through people in authority Issue decrees and statements that they themselves may not be aware. But they are actually speaking the plan and the purpose of God. Amen. Let's go back to chapter 18 verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Which of course was John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest. And went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest, that's John, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always met. And in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, Are you not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, that's Malchus, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, And it was early morning, but they themselves do not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. Then Pilate said to him, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, but he spoke signifying by what death he would die. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19 verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on its head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Referring to Judas and the chief priests and the people. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Pilate was just the governor. And so here again, the Jews were threatening him, trying to prevent him from exercising his authority to release Jesus. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down, In the judgment seat, in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. When they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, And Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was. Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified. Was near the city. And it was written. In Hebrew, Greek and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews. Said to Pilate. Do not write. The king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it. But cast lots for it. Whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled which says. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And his mother's sister Mary. The wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing by. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all things, were now accomplished. Once again, knowing all things were now accomplished. That the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it To his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine. He said. It is finished. Or it is done. And bowing his head. He gave up. His spirit. Something happened. Between John 17.4. And John 19.30. Because in John 17.4. He prays to the father. And he says father. Father. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Referring to what the Father wanted to be done through his ministry in terms of teaching, preaching, ministering and healing people. And yet there was something still remaining that he had to complete exclusively on the cross. And when that was done, knowing in himself that whatever had to take place on the cross was accomplished. He then said in John 19:30, one more time, it is finished. And then he died. Which means that in understanding the purpose of Christ's coming to the earth, We need to look beyond his teachings and his works that he did. Although they are very significant and they are very important. We need to look beyond that and look at the cross. Because on the cross he did something far beyond what his teaching and what his earthly ministry accomplished. I want us to look at one more passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where Paul highlights the cross of Jesus, the message of the cross. And then we will spend some time looking at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read verses 17 to 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 to 24. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. And Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ. That is Christ crucified. Is the power of God. And. The wisdom of God. Paul brings out the fact here that I've been sent to preach the message of the cross. To tell people what really happened on the cross. What Jesus really accomplished on the cross. And he says, I don't do this with the support of human words. Not in the power of the intellect. Not with great eloquence. Not depending Great words, lest the cross of Christ, lest the raw power of the message itself should be diluted or in some way contaminated by human words. I want to let the power of the cross come forth in all its fullness. So my dependence of in preaching this message of the cross is not in human words. And he says, you know, the message of the cross. For those who are dying, it is foolishness. So when you tell people, you know, we believe in this cross and we believe in somebody who died about 2,000 years ago, somewhere in the Middle East, they think it's foolishness. But he says, for those of us who are being saved, this message is the very power of God. The power, the power of omnipotence comes rushing into our lives through this message of the cross, of somebody crucified, buried, and raised up from the dead. That this message and the preaching of this message brings the very power of God into our lives. He then says, you know, the Greeks seek for wisdom. They are intellectuals. The Jews look for a sign. There are spiritual people who look, are looking for something very spectacular. But what do we do? It says we just preach the message of the cross. To the Greeks, it sounds foolishness. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. They laugh at it. They stumble over it. But for those of us who are called, for those of us who are saved, this message of the cross, he says, is both the wisdom of God and the power of God. Meaning, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the wisdom, the brilliance of God displayed. And we see the almighty power of omnipotence released in the cross of Jesus. Amen. So this message of the cross is the central message of our faith. It is central to what we believe. And everything we do comes forth out of the cross of Jesus. And in the cross, when we understand the cross, we recognize that God's wisdom and God's power is released through the cross. It's the place from which we derive our greatest triumphs. Our greatest victory is our greatest deliverance. It's a place through which the power of God comes flowing in to our lives. The cross of Jesus. Amen. i like to sum up what God did for us on the cross. The display of God's wisdom and God's power on the cross in three words. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. I'm not saying this is necessarily comprehensive. But I find it useful. The first word is substitution. The second word is atonement. And the third is redemption. Three words that help us understand the wisdom and the power of the cross. If you and I can understand substitution, if you and I can understand atonement, if you and I can understand redemption, we get a glimpse into the wisdom and the power of God that is available to you and me through the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about each of them. Substitution. Substitution simply is one person going into something on behalf of another. We have that in everyday life. If a teacher doesn't show up in school, you have a substitute teacher. If a player can't get on the field, you have a substitute going in instead of him. Whatever that player does is equivalent to the original player doing it. So we have this happening in everyday life. And substitution is central to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He went there for us. On our behalf. That's why in several places the Bible says. That Jesus went to the cross. And whatever he did on the cross. He did it as our substitute. He did it for us. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18. For, says for Christ died for our sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 says, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Who, the latter part of that verse says, who tasted death for every man. Hebrews 2 verse 9. He tasted death for, instead of, on behalf of every man. So substitution is so powerful. But I want us to understand that there is and there can never be another substitute. No one else has been or will ever qualify to be a substitute like Jesus. If you go back to the original story in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam. And he said, Adam, you're my son. You're created in my image. You're created to rule the earth, to have dominion on the earth. But Adam sinned. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 12, For by one man, sin came into this world. And death's because of sin. And death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. One man, sin came in and passed upon all men. Therefore, the Bible says all have sinned. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Which means no man, no woman is without sin. So no other person could ever become a substitute because they had their own sins to die for. Amen? No matter how good a life they've lived, No matter how spiritually ascended he or she might be. No matter how much of enlightenment they may have received supposedly. They still do not qualify to be a substitute to take the place of mankind. Because they have their own sins to pay for. So what did God do? God became a man. So here was Jesus who was born. And he was born without sin. He was born unlike any other human being because he was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was without sin. And so only Jesus, being fully human, and yet being without sin, could qualify to be our substitutes. Amen? And so through one man, sin came into this world. Romans chapter 5 bears this out so beautifully. And because of sin came death and condemnation. But the Bible says, even so, through one man, through one man's obedience, the free gift of God, the grace of God, and the gift of righteousness was made available to everyone. One man's sin, Adam, his sin brought death upon the human race. And it brought condemnation upon all of us. But there was one man, his name was Jesus. And through his obedience, the grace of God was released on the entire human race. And along with grace, the free gift of righteousness was given to the whole human race one man. Adam sins, one man. Jesus was our perfect substitute. Substitute teaches us that on the cross, a divine exchange took place. Divine exchange. So on the cross, a divine exchange took place. Paul puts it out this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. He says, Oh, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, brethren. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. So that we through his poverty might be made rich. Or he puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, him who was without sin, God made to become sin for us. That we through him might become the righteousness of God. That's divine exchange. He became what I was. So that I could become what he is. I'm not saying God. But everything else that comes to us through being in Christ. That's divine exchange. So what actually happened on the cross? Substitution happened. He went there as our in our place. He went there carrying our sin. He went there carrying our sickness. He went there bearing the punishment for all our wrongdoing. He went there on our behalf. He went there representing the human race. So that everything Adam plunged humanity into because of his sin and his disobedience, Jesus went to recover through his obedience and through his representation of mankind. Adam plunged humanity to sin and judgment. Jesus walked in obedience and he brought humanity out from judgment to the grace of God. Adam plunged humanity under condemnation. Jesus walked in obedience and he pulled us out to the grace of God to a place where the Bible says we are now justified. Adam plunged humanity into the consequences of sin which include sickness, poverty and death. But Jesus walked through Calvary and he pulled humanity out of sickness out of death, and he brought us in to eternal life. Adam planted humanity into bondage of Satan and into demonic oppression. But Jesus, representing the human race on the cross, the Bible says, He disarmed principalities and powers, and He triumphed over them on the cross. He did it, brothers, for you and for me. He did not need to do it for Himself. He was already the omnipotent One before He came into the earth. But everything He did on the cross, He did it as our substitute on our behalf, so that you and I can walk in it today. Amen. As our substitute. He didn't have to contend with demonic powers for his own self. Because he was always eternal in God. But he contended human po- demonic powers not as God but as man. A man plunged humani- humanity under demonic oppression. So only a man could represent humanity to get us out of that. And that man was Jesus Christ. He did not overthrow those powers as God. He overthrew them as a man. As our substitute. And therefore today you and I have a right. To trample Satan underneath our feet. Because of his triumph. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, bears this out so powerfully. Isaiah describes what happened on the cross. He says, surely, Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Surely he bore our sickness and carried our pains. Now if you flip over to Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says that when the evening was come, they brought to Jesus all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And Jesus cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick in order that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Meaning to say what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53, 4, will bring this benefit to humanity that people will be healed from sicknesses and diseases and they will be set free from demonic powers. The cross is the basis for your healing. Every time you stand up for your healing, you are honoring the cross of Jesus. Every time you resist sickness and disease from your body, you are honoring the fact that Jesus Christ himself took your sicknesses and bore your diseases. And therefore you have every right to be healed in your body and to be free from every demonic work. Amen. Let us never dishonor the cross of Jesus by saying, God put sickness on me. You dishonor the cross of Jesus when you speak like that. Because on the cross, the Bible says, He Himself took our infirmities and bore our diseases. Why dishonor what Jesus did on the cross? So in Matthew 8, as Jesus healed the people, Matthew by the Holy Spirit says, Jesus did this, healing the people in order to fulfill Isaiah. But keep in mind, in Matthew the 8th chapter, Jesus had not yet died on the cross. But he was doing it ahead of time. Did Jesus forgive sin before dying on the cross? He told the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Why could he do it? Because he was going to make that payment anyway. So he had the authority to forgive before the payment. And even so he healed people from every sickness and disease and from demonic oppression even before he went to the cross because he's going to make that payment anyway. So healing for us comes on the basis of that cross that you look at the cross and say Jesus became my substitute. He took my sicknesses. He took my diseases. He set me free from every demonic oppression. Healing for my body is mine through the cross of Jesus. He became my substitute. As continues in verse 5, he says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. The punishment that brings us peace, the Hebrew word is shalom, which means total well-being. Well-being in every facet of life, emotionally, financially, socially, total well-being. The punishment that could then release shalom to us was upon him. He bore punishment so you could have peace. He bore the suffering so you could have shalom. He became your substitute. Amen. And finally in Isaiah 53 and verse 12. Here's the amazing thing. It says there. Therefore, the concluding verse of Isaiah 53. Therefore, God the Father speaks and says, I will give him a portion with the great. Meaning I will exalt him. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. He's using terms, military terms. I will give him a portion with the great. I will exalt him. We know in the New Testament, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. But it also says, Isaiah 53, 12, He will divide the spoil with the strong. So using, he's using a military term. When they went and fought against the enemy, they got the spoils, they brought the spoils home and they shared it with everybody so that everybody enjoyed in that victory. So Isaiah says, this is what Jesus will do. He will share his triumph with everyone else. Amen. So you and I walk in the victory that Christ gained on the cross of Calvary. He triumphed over demonic powers on the cross as a man representing you and me. So today you have the cross as the basis on which you can dominate demonic powers. The cross is the basis. Amen. Because he has shared that triumph with you and me. Atonement talks about the satisfying of God's justice in order to bring reconciliation. God is a God of mercy. He loves the sinner. And he wants to forgive sin. But he's also a God of justice. Sin has to be punished. Sin cannot go unpunished. So here's the atonement, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. He took upon himself the judgment of the sins of the whole world. That's why 1 John chapter 2 verse 2 says, He is the payment for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So he paid for it all. So that the Bible can now say that God in Romans the third chapter, that God is now just and is also the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. That means he's both the judge who pronounces judgment and the judge who pronounces acquittal. He has He is just. He released the judgment on Jesus. He is the acquitter. He releases justification on you and me. So that because of the cross of Jesus, in Romans the fourth chapter, the last verse, verse 24, and Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, and these are powerful verses, Romans 4, 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised... Because of our justification, he was delivered because of our offenses. He was crucified because of our offenses, Romans 4:25. But you know, the resurrection is signifying that we've been justified. He was raised because of our justification. I mean, the father said, "Yes, now. I can declare them all free from sin. I can acquit the entire human race. Come on out. He was raised because of our justification. The resurrection is telling you and me that you've been justified. He was given up. He was crucified for our offenses, but he was raised up because of our justification. When we were justified, when the demands of God's justice was completely, fully satisfied, He could come out of the grave. And He did. Therefore, Paul continues in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. We are reconciled to God through the death of His Son. As he mentions in, later on in chapter 5, verse 10. For if then we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Verse 11. Not only that, but we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, atonement. Meaning now man and God are reconciled. You are a friend of God. Amen. So when God looks at you, He looks at you as a person who is justified. And as surely as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, so surely are you acquitted in the eyes of God. Because He was raised up for because of our justification. Amen. Which means that no believer needs to live under a cloud of guilt. Under a cloud of condemnation and shame. But we can walk as sons and daughters of God, knowing that we are reconciled to God. There is nothing between God and us, that God is our Father. We are His sons and daughters. We are in covenant with Almighty God. That's the atonement. He's made us one. Amen. The wisdom of the cross. Through substitution. We are brought out from what Adam put us into and brought into sharing as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Sharing in that. Atonement. On the cross, God judged our sin so that now he could be our justifier. He could extend both justice and mercy. Amen. And then comes redemption. Redemption simply means to buy somebody out of slavery and restore them back to their original state. Adam sold us into slavery so that Satan now became the god of this world, the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. To the point where the Bible says the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. But Jesus came. The only way we could be brought out of slavery was if there was a ransom paid for a redemption. The ransom had to be left in the throne room of God. And if that price was paid, you and I could legally walk into freedom and out of slavery to Satan. And the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus did with his blood. Hebrews chapter 9, 12, 13, 14 is so powerful that Jesus took his own blood He went into the most holy place up in heaven. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an Haifa, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh? Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit Offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. To serve the living God. Redemption. He took his own blood. Into the most holy place. Up in heaven. And he said, here's the price. Therefore everyone who believes in Jesus today. Are redeemed by the blood. The Bible says in him we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness. Of our sins. Which means that as a believer. Who has been washed in the blood of Jesus. Satan has no more claim over you. No more legal access to your life. Or anything concerning you. Because you are redeemed. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is complete. Total redemption. From the consequences of the fall. Not just part of it. Sometimes we tend to believe in a quarter redemption. Redemption that only says my sins are forgiven. But listen, everything that took place in the fall, Jesus redeemed us from with his blood. Everything. Amen. So we need to believe in that full, complete redemption of Jesus Christ that he accomplished for us through his shed blood. That by His blood, your spirit, soul, and body now belongs to God. Amen. Therefore, if there is sickness in your body, you have a right to have it healed. Because you're redeemed. If there's any emotional bondage, you have a right to be free. If there's any emotional pain or trauma, you have a right to experience the shalom of God and the healing of God. That Satan has no more access to you, spirit, soul, or body, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And not only your body, spirit, soul, and body, but anything that concerns you. Your workplace is also redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So what do you mean? In the garden before Adam sinned, God put him to work and he worked in a perfect world. God designed work before he designed marriage. Ponder on that for some. In other words, before you get married, get a job. God designed work before he designed marriage, and Adam was to work in the garden. Of e- in the garden. He was to till the ground and protect the garden. That was his job. In addition to worshiping God and communing with God, that was his place of work. But what happened in the fall? Because of his disobedience, what happened? The ground was cursed. And God said, Adam, the ground is cursed. From now on, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. And you will plant much, you'll reap little. And not only that, this ground will be against you thorns and thistles, it'll pull up. The workplace was not as bad before the fall. Before the fall, work was a pleasurable thing. He would just sow when it would produce. It was blessed. But the fall caused the workplace to become cursed. And not only become cursed, it caused it to be a hard environment to work in. And not only a hard environment, it became a hostile environment because not thorns and thistles would come up in the workplace. Do you believe Jesus redeemed even that? Do you believe Jesus finished, took care of that on the cross? Do you believe Jesus redeemed your place of work on the cross? And when you go to the garden, you can say ground. Adam caused you to be cursed, but Jesus is causing you to be blessed. Amen. Redeemed through the cross. Because of Adam, you'll bring thorns and thistles, but because of Jesus now, you're blessed. You're going to be productive. You're going to produce. So the redemption of Jesus Christ even flows into your workplace. You take the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to your workplace. Declare your work environment redeemed. You say, but you don't know who who I work with. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you and your work as a believer in the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Your workplace has been redeemed. Everything about you is redeemed. That's why the Bible says this blood is so powerful when you speak of this blood, the adversary runs in terror. Because that's the redemption price. That's what brought you out of his clutches. The Bible says you overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. You testify to what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you. It's the redemption price, the ransom. This is the wisdom of God and the power of God through the cross of Jesus. substitution. Results in a divine exchange. Atonement results in reconciliation. Redemption results in total restoration. Amen. So the power of God. To bring a divine exchange in your life and mine. The power of God to bring reconciliation with God. The power of God to bring total restoration. Flows to each and every human being through the cross of Jesus. All we need to do is to believe in the cross and to say what Jesus did on the cross, he did it for me. I am receiving it. Amen. This afternoon before we dismiss, if you're here, if there's anyone here and you don't feel connected to God, listen, that's the whole reason why Jesus died. That he might reconcile us Make us friends with God. This day can be a great day for you and me to be reconciled with God. Maybe you knew God. Maybe you grew up in church. And maybe you walked with God for some time. But then maybe you wandered away. Today is a great day to get reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Maybe there are some of us. who Maybe you have sickness in your body. Don't feel condemned. Rejoice and say, Jesus, you took this on the cross. I want my healing. I want my healing. I receive it through the cross. Maybe there are bondages in your life. Listen, you don't have to live that way. Jesus Christ died so that the power of sin can be broken, the power of every addictive habit and behavior can be broken off so that you can live as a free person. That Satan will no longer have to control your dominate you in any way in your life. Today, I want us to receive the blessings of the cross. Amen? We're going to pray together. We're going to believe God together. So Jesus said, go proclaim this message all over the world and help people receive the blessings of the cross. Let them receive it. Amen? We're going to pray this afternoon and just believe for healing, for deliverance, for reconciliation in people's lives. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Or tried to be around God. Today we want to pray. We want to help you experience the power of the cross. He became your substitute, so so that you could experience and receive everything He brings into your life and mine. Amen. The finished work of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Your healing. Has been taken care of. Your deliverance has been taken care of. Your shalom has been taken care of. Your finances has been taken care of. Your workplace has been taken care of. It is finished. The work's been done. He became your substitute. He became your atonement. He became your redemption. It's done. It's for us now to come and believe and receive. We're going to believe God together. We're going to pray. Saying God this is what Jesus died for so that I could receive it in my life and I want to receive it in my life. If you've never been saved, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, I want you to come forward as we get into a time of prayer. If you need healing, I want you to come just meet with one of them or any other thing that's going on in your life that you just need one one prayer for. That you believe through the cross of Jesus That need can be and will be met. I want you to come. Just meet with these leaders here and up on the first floor. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God for things to take place. Could we stand to our feet, please? Let's just say this out loud together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross. You became my substitute. You took my place. You went there on my behalf. You You became what I was.
0: was.
1: So that I could become what you are. You You became sin. sin. So that I could become righteous.
0: righteous.
1: You became sick. sick. So So I could be healed. You were punished. So I, could have total peace. so I could have total peace. You triumphed over the enemy. So I could walk in victory.
0: And authority. And authority.
1: Jesus, thank you, for the cross. thank you for the cross. Thank you for the atonement. You took my judgment. You took my judgment. So, I could be justified.
0: so I could be justified. You were rejected so i could be reconciled so i could be reconciled i am a friend of god i'm a friend of god thank you jesus thank
1: you jesus thank you for my redemption
0: thank you for your redemption
1: God. satan has no power over my life
0: satan has no power over my
1: life satan has no access to my life
0: satan has no access
1: to my life i am the redeemed property i'm a redeemed property of almighty god of almighty god. I'm redeemed by His blood.
0: I'm by his blood.
1: My, spirit, soul, and body my spirit, soul, and body is redeemed by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. Everything, in my life, Everything in my life, my family,
0: my, family,
1: my work, my, work my, future my future is redeemed,
0: is redeemed
1: by, the blood. by the blood. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the power of the cross. Thank you for the the blessings of the cross. Thank you, you, Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a good hand clap. Lord Jesus, we bless you. We honor you, God. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, God. Thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you. We bless you for that finished work, Jesus. It is finished. It is done. Nothing else needs to be done. It is done. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. So when you and I go from here, live our life, let's live it on the basis of the cross. When you look at life, look at it from the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When you fight sin, fight it based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. When you minister to people, minister to it based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. He did the work. We are His instruments. Amen? It's the cross. It's been done. Let's close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Cover you with His divine favor. Lift up His countenance on you. And give you His peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.